Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Scripture today is from Mark chapter 6 as we continue in this series, and the emphasis today is to understand the divine nature of prayer. It'll be from verses 30 to 44, and I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles. Uh, The Scripture will also be on the screen. There's a pew Bible in the pew back in front of you. Would you please stand out of respect to God's holy word as you hear now the words of Scripture. I said, John, and it's Mark, and I marked my Bible in the wrong place. So you're going to see if the preacher can find Mark chapter 6 in a hurry. (laughs) The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So then they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many people saw them leaving and recognized, and they ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. But this time it was late in the day, so Jesus' disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered what? Read that together, folks. You give them something to eat. And they said, Jesus, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them all to have the people sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you are, let us pray together. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. You can visit the place that commemorates the feeding of the 5,000 even today. It is called Tapka. The 
People on our most recent trip had extraordinary opportunity, as did the folks in March when we nearly got stuck in Israel, because there weren't a lot of folks there. This is actually a picture that I took. This is the chapel at Tabtha. So it is, it's run by the Franciscans. So anytime you find the Franciscans or the Catholics, you'll have, this is the basin of the holy water that you can go in and touch as you go in. Uh, it's got this magnificent acoustics. We were actually able to sing a song while we were in here. And then at the altar at the very front, when you look down, there are mosaics at the very front. And this is what's known as the Tapka mosaic. That's what's on the chalice and on the patens. It's duplicated in many places. It commemorates the place where Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves. Now, do we know if it's exactly the same place? Well, we don't. But here is a fascinating piece of history. In the year 381, did you know that the first recorded person to make a diary of the pilgrimages to the Holy Land was actually a woman named Egeria. And she went all the way from Sinai and um, Mount Sinai all the way to the Holy Land, and she made a record of all that was happening. You can go online, E-G-E-R-I-A. You can actually buy the translation of her diary. And granted, this is some 350 years later, but the church had already commemorated a place in which this incredible moment took place. Now, historically, there's been a debate within the life of the church. A lot of times there's interpretation of scriptures, especially around miraculous kinds of events. And there are two primary veins of interpretation. One is that the text obviously tells us that they were so busy that nobody had time to get anything to eat. That's a fact that everybody knew. And that when it came to the moment of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, that it was a miraculous multiplication that God took little and miraculously duplicated it to make more. That's right in God's wheelhouse. After all, God created the world from nothing. It's called the ex nihilo in the Latin. From nothing God created all that is. Others, as we moved through especially the 1930s and 1950s, and there was a larger emphasis to try and rationalize the biblical text to have it make more human rational sense, there was this interpretation that said, no, 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 no. It wasn't a miraculous duplication. It wasn't a real miracle. You see, all that happened was everybody already had their lunch Everybody already had something with us. It's just that when, when Jesus started to make a move here and do something, it freed people up to share what they had. That's where all the extra came from. And I want to ask you, why does it have to be either or? Why can't there be a bit of both in the spirit of Forrest Gump at that moment at the end when he is standing at Jenny's grave? Why can't it be both? Could it be both that part of God's power is to duplicate and make something where there is nothing, like our lives at times, when there is nothing and something is generated and created because this is who God is? And is it not equally miraculous that God can make a move to be able to free his creation from what tends to be a scarcity mindset that is fueling the greed and the hoarding to a moment of being free and sharing? All you have to do is look at the great toilet paper crisis in 2021 in America, right? 
Who walked in and said, oh, I found a big bundle. Here, have one. Have, no. I mean, people were hoarding toilet paper, hoarding paper towels. Because they were so worried. It's a human nature. Because we're scarcity mindset is our human nature. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's both that happens there. But here's some movements in the text I don't want us to miss as we think about the divine aspect of prayer. And to let you know where we're going to end up, I want you to keep in mind that in John chapter 17, Jesus says that he is praying not only for the disciples who are with him in that moment, but for all who would come after and believe in the gospel. So in John 17, we're told that Christ is already praying for you and me before we were in our mother's womb or walked this earth. God has our best interest in mind. He has a concern for us, and he sees what's happening. He's hearing what's happened to all the disciples, and he said, Look, it's, let's, let's go, let's get apart, let's, let's get some rest together. Let's move apart. Vance Havner says it this way, If we don't come apart and rest, we'll come apart. If we don't come apart and rest, we will come apart. And so Jesus pulls the disciples together, he moves to a different location, which becomes tactical, we believe. People see where he's trying to go. He steps off the boat, and he is, he is literally overwhelmed with compassion. And in between that moment of when Jesus recognizes where the disciples are, I think it's important to remember that Jesus wants our willingness to follow, not our weariness. We don't have to work harder we don't have to work our fingers to the bone, as the, as the uh, old word says. But we, we are called by God to both be doers, but also to have a time of rest. And the question is this, who do you rest with and how do you rest? Jesus fights us into a moment of rest and renewal. And then as he gets to that location, he sees all of these people. He has compassion on the crowd. And he has compassion on the crowd, uh, not because they're hungry, not because, as the text says in verse 30, no one had time to eat. It doesn't say he has compassion on the crowd because they were under the ruthless rule of Rome and taxation. It doesn't say he had compassion on them because they were having challenges in their life. It literally says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Just listen to the text and the text will tell you. The compassion that Jesus has is that we too often are simply wandering around and what he wants to do is to spend time with us to instruct and direct our lives. When our nature is to want to be in control of our lives and then sprinkle in a little Jesus like the little things on top of a cupcake. Christ needs to be at the center of who we are, our identity, our decision-making, and where we are. And don't miss that imagery that's, are you picking it up? I mean, they were all told to sit down in the green grass. Clue number one, that might remind you of some other text, right? And then he saw that they were like a sheep without a shepherd, so you see this, this imagery of Psalm 23 sort of weaving itself through that the people are scattered. 
I remember working with a candidate for ministry in a previous conference, and uh, the person had really struggled. And so we said, we want to wait for your approval for the full step of ordination for another year. We want you to work on these things, and we want to do that in love. They came back the next year, and it was amazing, because we always would say when people come back the next year, tell us what's been going on in your life. What's God been teaching you? And it was amazing, beautiful, redemptive, wonderful, because this is what they said. I had to remember that Psalm 23 doesn't say the Lord invites me to lie down in green pastures. The 23rd Psalm says the Lord makes me to lay down in green pastures. And I needed some making to lie down in green pastures to do some reflecting in my life. And then this beautiful self-reflective window opened up and that person's ministries just flourished. See, too often we think that God is simply going to be the divine person that gives us a stamp to our own self-actualization. And that is not the nature of the church. That is not the redemptive nature of Christ. It is to call us. It is to invite us into a way of life beyond ourselves. It's to give us a place to rest and renew. It's to give us a vision for the world bigger than just ourselves. And so then Jesus, having taught these uh, people together, he, he gathers them together, he teaches them, and the disciples are seeing they didn't bring everything necessary for a potluck. And they approach Jesus. Now, listen to the text, right? They say Jesus sent them away because there's, there's going to be some contrast. The disciples say, like they did to the children, you know, get the little guys out of here, take them back to the nursery. And Jesus says, do not hinder the children, Right? People, disciples see all these people and they say, Jesus, send them away. They got to go get something to eat. They're hungry. And what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. And they look at each other. How are we going to do that? That'd that'd take a year's wages, basically. How are we going to do that? And then Jesus says in this contrast, he says to them, what do you have? Go and see. When we want to send people away, Jesus is the one that gets into our personal space and says, why don't you go and see how you can feed the hungry. And if you take that metaphor, not just to feed the hungry, but clothing the naked, visiting the imprisoned, how can we be involved in that? And then that miraculous moment takes place. Here are the things that we need to know about this text. First, it is a mystery what Jesus prays. We do not know. All we know is that he took the bread and the loaves. He took the bread, not the, the fish, but he takes the bread. He, he basically blesses it and sends it out. Now, wouldn't it be great if there was like a little asterisk in a footnote and this was Jesus' prayer? I mean, wouldn't that be really, really cool if we knew what was the prayer that Jesus prayed? What were his words of his blessing? No, we don't have that. All we know is that Jesus did bless the bread and then sent it out, and the multiplication of the bread happened. Then he did the same with the fish, dividing it up, and there was so much that there were 12 extra baskets. You don't want to get caught too much in numerology, but what's really fascinating is not to miss the implication that when we think about the number 12, we can immediately come to mind the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples that were called, this imagery that is not a literal interpretation of the text, but provides for us sort of a layer of understanding. Because what it says is that they all ate and they were satisfied. 
You see, Jesus has compassion on us, even today. And this act of compassion is to move into our current context, and whether it is by a miraculous moment of duplication, or whether it is because God frees our hearts and changes the direction of our lives, God is still in the midst of us. Here's what we need not to forget. Too often, we look for God in just the extraordinary things that happen, and we miss the holy that exists in the ordinary, the sacred that exists in the simple. And here is the amazing part of this text. Nothing in the text tells us that the people who received knew that it was a miracle. Nothing in the text tells us that the people who received knew it was a miracle. All they know is that their need, their hunger, was met by Christ. There is no join us in the doxology. There's no Peter stepping forward to get the Galilee um, communication center to talk about the newspaper ad of Galilee, you know, the Jew from uh, Nazareth duplicates the loaves and fishes so that they could really pump up Jesus' ministry and get this new thing going. I mean, it just happens. In fact, if you read verse 44 at the end, what Jesus does is he, and this is what Jesus is always doing. You see, Jesus is always meeting us in the midst of it. And then he's going to say, disciples, go ahead. I'll join you. I want you to go ahead. You see, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sending forth even in this. And then this part of the text and I stood in that place with just a holy imagination and just imagine what it was like because the text in verse 44 says, and then Jesus dismissed the people. And I stood there and I wondered last month, I wonder what that looked like. I doubt it was like, okay, all you Galileans, you sheep, I'm your shepherd. Don't forget to practice social distancing and sanitize your hands when you leave. I can't come greet every one of you, right? I just imagine it is probably more like Jesus and the disciples ahead. And I just I envision him just sort of moving down in their midst. You know, it's families. It's not just the men that are there. It's the families. I envision him moving down in their midst and talking to them. And he was teaching them and... Were there individual conversations, gracious words as people are sent out? But the disciples are being sent ahead. You see, here's what I believe about this text. What I believe about this text is that you and I are both the disciples and in the crowd. Part of us is in a place where we need the miraculous touch of God to change our heart and change our lives. And part of our lives is in a place where we need to hear that clear call from Christ. Go see what you got and go on ahead. And at times, to break away from the business of the world and to rest with Jesus. Because if you don't spend time with him and rest with him and let him teach you, then you won't have anything when you're sent ahead. You'll be going in your own effort and what I've learned in years is that when I try to do things in only my own effort, I tend to get tired, frustrated, cynical, and spiritually calloused. And when I realize it's not up to me, it's just my willingness to be used by a God who loved me to death on a cross and he would love me to life, I have greater resiliency, hope, 
And I keep doing what I'm doing because it's the invitation from the wounded healer of Galilee, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who can make something from nothing, who can change hearts. Jesus the Christ. When you go today, when you leave this place, who will you follow? Who will you follow? Let us pray. God, thank you that in Christ, you are always reaching for us and searching for us. Thank you that you don't have any pretest or qualifications to fill out. We don't apply for discipleship as if we have to have certain things prepared in our lives or be at a certain place to be equipped. Thank you that you're a God who simply calls us and you want willing hearts and everything else flows from a willingness to follow. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, which fills in the spaces, inspires our hearts, heals our wounds, and directs our lives. And thank you for this holy meal that reminds us about the importance of what it means to be fed by you in our faith and in our life and to find our rest and renewal in you. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen.